0: From Sorrow to Joy, a Retreat Guide on the Sacrament of Confession, Introduction.
1: When the devil tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he directly contradicted something that God had told them. God had told them that eating the forbidden fruit would cause them to die. But the devil says to them, You certainly will not die. Adam and Eve believe him, and they eat the forbidden fruit, and, well, they didn't die. They lived on for a long time, becoming the first parents of the human race. So, was God lying? Of course not. Physical death did enter the human family with original sin, even though Adam and Eve didn't die right away. But biblical scholars point out that another kind of death did in fact happen right away, spiritual death. To live in communion with God is to be on the path of full, meaningful, everlasting life. To live separated from God, and that's what sin does, it opens the door of separation from God, is to be cut off from the source of all life, joy, and goodness. It is a painful spiritual death. Jesus, through his passion, death, and resurrection, went through that door himself, not because he sinned, but because he loved sinners and wanted to save them. And he has opened another door, the door of mercy, which rescues sinners, and we are all sinners, from spiritual death and its many sorrows, if only we are humble enough to walk through it. The easiest way to do that is to make good use of the sacrament of mercy confession. And that's what this retreat guide, From Sorrow to Joy, will explore. The first meditation will explore what this sacrament reveals to us about God Himself. The second meditation will call to mind some extraordinary ways that God has revealed the beauty and the power of this sacrament. And the conference will identify some common obstacles that keep us from getting the most we can out of confession. Let's begin by silently turning our attention to God the Father of mercy, and asking him for all the graces we need, most especially the grace to renew our appreciation for this sacrament, which has the power to turn death into life and sorrow into joy.
0: First Meditation Confession Reveals God's Fatherly Heart Introduction
1: God invented confession. This is the case with all seven sacraments. Christ himself instituted them. We have to allow that fact to sink deeply into our consciousness. Otherwise, we will miss out on much of the power and beauty of confession. Jesus himself often forgave people's sins. He did it when some followers brought him a paralyzed man to be healed. He did it when the sinful woman wiped and anointed his feet. He did it when some Pharisees brought him a woman caught in adultery in order to see how Jesus would react. Jesus' habit of forgiving sins caused violent controversy among the religious leaders of his day. The Jewish leaders understood very well something that many of us in today's culture have forgotten. Every sin is evil, destructive, and a rebellion against God himself because it involves disobedience to the moral law that he in his loving wisdom has established. And so only God is capable of forgiving sins. When Jesus claimed to forgive sins, therefore, he was claiming to be God to do what only God can do. In the end, this claim led to his being rejected and put to death by the religious leaders of his own people. But Jesus not only forgave sins himself, he also delegated his authority to forgive sins to his apostles. This comes up various times in the Gospels, most explicitly in John 20, verses 21 through 23. This encounter with his apostles takes place after his Passion and Resurrection, When Jesus has paid the price for all sin through his loving obedience on the cross. Here is how Saint John describes the encounter. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain, Are retained. Even today, during the celebration of the Sacrament of Confession, the priest echoes this Gospel passage when he says, before giving absolution, God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of His Son, has reconciled the world to Himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. The Church has always been aware of this delegated authority to forgive sins, given to the Apostles by Christ, and passed on throughout the history of the Church by the Sacrament of Holy Orders.
0: The Heart of a Perfect Father
1: The Sacrament of Confession was God's idea. It wasn't an invention of the Church or of some corrupt priest seeking control and manipulation. That's the first thing we have to keep in mind. What does this tell us about God? What is God revealing about Himself by giving us the truly amazing gift of this sacrament? At least three things. In the first place, God is showing us that He already knows our sinfulness, our weakness, our misery. In other words, He gave us the sacrament of confession because He knew that we would need it. Many times we surprise ourselves with our sinfulness. We want to be perfect to be able to keep ourselves perfect. And when we fall into sin, we become discouraged and ashamed. We want to give up. The mere fact that God has given us this sacrament is an antidote to shame and discouragement. God knows that we are sinners. Our falls and our struggles do not surprise Him. We may get tired of starting over again, of picking ourselves up after a fall, but God never gets tired of forgiving us. As Psalm 136 puts it, Praise the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Praise the God of gods, for His mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord of lords, for His mercy endures forever. That psalm repeats the affirmation that God's mercy endures forever 26 times. The Lord is trying to convince us that, however many times we give in to temptation, however many times we fail in our efforts to love God and neighbor, He will always be there to forgive us if we ask Him. His mercy has no limits, no end, no conditions. This is the first thing that the Sacrament of Confession reveals to us about God. He is the perfect Father, the Father who never condemns or gives up on His children.
0: God Knows Human Nature
1: Second, God's gift of this sacrament shows that He understands human nature. He knows that in order to experience His mercy and forgiveness, we need a real interpersonal encounter. We need to verbally express our sins and our repentance from them. And we need the words of forgiveness, mercy, and reconciliation to be spoken to us audibly, inside the context of our human reality, of space and time. God didn't want his mercy to remain abstract and distant. Just as God, through the Incarnation, made himself truly present to the world in Jesus, so he wants to make his mercy truly present to each one of us through the real, physical, fully human encounter that takes place in the sacrament of confession. The way that this sacrament is celebrated has changed throughout the centuries, but it has always involved a true interpersonal encounter, because that's what our human nature craves. God knows this, and has shown His gentleness, His goodness, and His love by meeting us on our own level, bringing His divine mercy down to earth, literally, through this sacrament. This is one of the reasons why the sacrament has so many names, Confession, penance, reconciliation. The interpersonal encounter through which God sends his grace is fully human, and so it has multiple levels of interaction and meaning. Finally, God's gift of this sacrament gives us a glimpse of how seriously God takes sin. Sin damages the human soul. It breeds strife in human communities and in the church, and it wounds our relationship with God. Sin is real, and it is destructive. This was one of the messages contained in Christ's Passion and Crucifixion, a visible icon of what sin does to the human person and the world. God knows this better than any of us, and he wanted to give us a place to go for healing. We cannot recover from sin and its destruction all by ourselves. Only God forgives sin. Only God can repair the spiritual damage done by sin. Only God can heal the soul wounded by sin. And the sacrament of confession is the privileged, God-given arena for that forgiveness, reparation, and healing to take place.
0: Conclusion From Death to Life
1: God doesn't want us to stay stuck in the sorrow and the slow death that sin brings into our lives. He wants us to live life to the full. That was how Jesus himself summarized his mission on earth. I came so that they might have life and have it more abundantly. To make use of the sacrament of confession is to follow the God-given path from sinful death to renewed life, from sin-induced sorrow to spiritual joy. In the next meditation, we will reflect on some extraordinary ways through which God has shown the beauty and power of confession. But for now, let's just take some time to reflect prayerfully on all that God's gift of this sacrament reveals to us about His fatherly heart. The following questions and quotations may help your meditation.
0: Questions for personal reflection or group discussion. When I think about going to confession, what feelings do I experience? Where do they come from? Have I ever had a powerful experience of God's goodness and mercy in or out of the sacrament of confession? Remember and savour that experience and thank God for it. God takes sin seriously. That's one of the reasons he gave us the sacrament. How seriously do I take sin? How deeply do I believe that all sin causes damage and that it needs to be healed by God's grace? Three quotations to help your meditation. Ezekiel, chapter 33, verse 11, and Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 18. I swear I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why should you die, house of Israel? Come now, let us set things right, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they may become white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they may become white as wool. John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 1,441 and 1,442. Only God forgives sins. Since he is the Son of God, Jesus says of himself, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins and exercises this divine power, your sins are forgiven. Further, by virtue of his divine authority, he gives this power to men to exercise in his name. Christ has willed that in her prayer and life and action, his whole church should be the sign and instrument of the forgiveness and reconciliation that he acquired for us at the price of his blood but he entrusted the exercise of the power of absolution to the apostolic ministry which he charged with the ministry of reconciliation second meditation signs of glory in the confessional introduction
1: The gift of the Sacrament of Confession tells us a lot about God's wisdom, mercy, and fatherly heart. It really is a gift given for our benefit, not some kind of sadistic torture mechanism or burdensome punishment. And anyone who lives this sacrament sincerely and humbly will experience real benefits. But simply knowing that intellectually isn't always enough to help us overcome the resistance that our fallen nature experiences when facing the demands of this sacrament. God knows that it's difficult for us. To help us overcome that difficulty, many times throughout history, he has associated truly extraordinary, miraculous events with the sacrament of confession. Reflecting briefly on a few of these may prove to be a source of encouragement and confidence as we try to live confession more deeply and intentionally.
0: St. Mary's Vision
1: St. Mary Magdalene of Pazzi, a nun who lived in Renaissance, Italy, was given numerous extraordinary graces before her early death at age 41. She performed miraculous cures, by location, and experienced repeated and dramatic ecstasies and visions. One of these had to do with confession. It occurred while she was praying in the convent chapel. At the same time, in the same chapel, another sister was going to confession. St. Mary glanced over to the confessional and was given a vision of what was happening there spiritually. She saw an angel letting drops of Christ's blood fall from a chalice onto the sister as she knelt confessing her sins. The blood had scarcely touched her, and suddenly she began to shine like the sun. St. Mary almost fainted, the sight was so intensely beautiful. She got up from the pew and hurried to the confessional herself, praying in a quiet voice, Sprinkle me too. This extraordinary experience lifts the veil of faith for a brief moment so that we get a glimpse of the supernatural reality going on in the course of every sacramental confession.
0: St. Leopold's Prediction
1: One of the most well-known confessors of the 20th century was St. Leopold Mandic. He too was granted some extraordinary experiences that can help us appreciate God's perspective on the sacrament of confession. In some senses, he was an unlikely candidate for sanctity. He was small of stature, had a strange foot ailment that made him seem a bit crippled, and suffered from a serious speech impediment his whole life long. He was born in Serbia, to a noble Croatian family. A few generations previously, his family had returned to the Catholic Church from the Orthodox faith, and each year his parents and his eleven older siblings celebrated the anniversary of that return, which shows the kind of solid Catholic piety he grew up with. The few Catholic priests in his area were Italian Capuchins, so when he felt a call to the priesthood, that order was his natural choice. He received his seminary formation in Italy, and his first assignments were there as well. But as professor and religious superior, he was considered too lenient with the young religious, so his assignment was changed. His deep and constant longing was to dedicate himself to bringing his orthodox countrymen back into union with the true church. But his speech impediment and small stature in the eyes of his superiors disqualified him for that kind of work. So, instead, he was given the Ministry of Hearing Confessions, which he performed in a small confessional in the Capuchin House of Padua from 1909 until his death in 1942, 33 years. For 12, 13, even 15 hours every day, he would dispense God's mercy through the little grill. His supernatural wisdom and miracles of mercy were so valued by the people of Padua that when the future saint was relocated to another city in the 1920s, they were up in arms and convinced their bishop to demand Friar Leopold's return. They didn't rest until they had obtained their objective. Years before his death in 1942, during the Second World War, he predicted that war would come to Italy. He also prophesied that heavy bombings would do severe damage to the city of Padua and to the Capuchin friary there. But he also predicted that the little unadorned confessional that had been the channel for so much of God's mercy to enter the world through his many years of humble ministry would survive the bombings and be preserved. And it happened just so. The buildings all around were devastated by the bombs, but the confessional was untouched. It's almost as if that little confessional was like a corner of heaven on earth, vaccinated by God's mercy against the destructive power of evil and sin. Today, you can still visit it. And in a chapel built nearby, St. Leopold is buried. His body is miraculously incorrupt, as if his years in the confessional brought him so close to divine grace that even his body has been claimed ahead of time by heaven.
0: St. Faustina's Insight.
1: Another 20th century saint who has some encouraging things to say about this sacrament is the Polish nun, St. Faustina Kowalska. Jesus graced her with a whole series of visions and mystical encounters that she recorded in her diary. The theme that united them all was the grandeur and the power of God's divine mercy. And since confession is the sacrament of mercy, it often came up in their conversations. Take, for example, this entry in her diary. Today the Lord said to me, Daughter, when you go to confession, to this fountain of my mercy, the blood and water which came forth from my heart always flow down upon your soul and ennoble it. Every time you go to confession, Immerse yourself entirely in my mercy with great trust so that I may pour the bounty of my grace upon your soul. When you approach the confessional, know this, that I myself am waiting there for you. I am only hidden by the priest, but I myself act in your soul. Here the misery of the soul meets the God of mercy. A Fountain of Mercy where Jesus himself is only hidden by the priest. This is how our Lord explained the sacrament of confession to St. Faustina.
0: Conclusion God is trying to convince us.
1: Not everyone is moved by these kinds of miraculous, extraordinary manifestations of God's glory. And indeed, we are not even required to believe in them. And yet, through the centuries, so many of our older brothers and sisters in the faith have had extraordinary experiences like these in relation to confession that it's hard to entirely ignore them. God seems to want to wake us up with them, to give us at least an inkling of how His glorious grace touches and redeems this fallen world through the sacrament when we let it. Whether or not the experiences of these saints move us emotionally, it's worthwhile taking some time now to reflect prayerfully on how fully our idea of confession coincides with God's idea and to ask Him to help us make any necessary adjustments. The following questions and quotations may help your meditation.
0: Questions for personal reflection or group discussion. Why would God permit these kinds of miraculous events to happen in relation to confession? Why doesn't he allow miracles like this to be experienced by everyone? Which of the following Christian virtues do I have to exercise when I go to confession? Humility, faith, hope, love for God and neighbor? Which do you feel you have to exercise most? Which is hardest for me to exercise? Why? If confession clearly communicates so much grace to our souls and gives God so much glory, why do so many people refuse to make frequent use of it? Three quotations to help your meditation. Psalm 145, verses 8 through 20. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. The Lord is good to all, compassionate toward all your works. All your works give you thanks, Lord, and your faithful bless you. They speak of the glory of your reign and tell of your mighty works. The Lord is trustworthy in all his words and loving in all his works. The Lord supports all who are falling, and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look hopefully to you. You give them their food in due season. You open wide your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is just in all His ways, merciful in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he destroys. Pope Pius XII, Encyclical Letter, Mystici Corporis. Number 88. We will that the pious practice of frequent confession which was introduced into the church by the inspiration of the holy spirit should be earnestly advocated by it genuine self-knowledge is increased christian humility grows bad habits are corrected spiritual neglect and tepidity are resisted, the conscience is purified the will strengthened a salutary self-control is attained and grace is increased in virtue of the sacrament itself let those therefore among the younger clergy, who make light of or lessen esteem for frequent confession, realize that what they are doing is alien to the Spirit of Christ and disastrous for the mystical body of our Saviour. The Diary of St. Faustina Kowalska Numbers 1073-1074 through 1074 and one thousand seven hundred and eighty-four. My soul was flooded with joy beyond understanding, and the Lord gave me to experience the whole ocean and abyss of His fathomless mercy. Oh, if only souls would want to understand how much God loves them. All comparisons, even if they were the most tender and the most vehement, are but a mere shadow when set against the reality. When I went for adoration, I heard these words, my beloved daughter, write down these words. Tell the world about my mercy and my love. The flames of mercy are burning me. I desire to pour them out upon human souls. Oh, what pain they cause me when they do not want to accept them. Today, in the course of a long conversation, the Lord said to me, how very much I desire the salvation of souls. My dearest secretary, Write that I want to pour out my divine life into human souls and sanctify them, if only they were willing to accept my grace. The greatest sinners would achieve great sanctity, if only they would trust in my mercy. The very inner depths of my being are filled to overflowing with mercy, and it is being poured out upon all I have created. My delight is to act in a human soul and to fill it with my mercy and to justify it. Conference, Why We Don't Like Going to Confession, Introduction.
1: Confession, like all the sacraments, is a precious gift God gives for our benefit, because He knows we need it, because He understands human nature, and because sin causes real damage that only God's grace can repair. All that we reflected on in the first and second meditations. But if that's the case, then why don't more people make regular use of this sacrament? Anecdotal and some statistical evidence seems to indicate that a very small percentage of Catholics actually go to confession on a regular basis, even though the Church recommends that for all of us. There even seems to be only a small percentage of Catholics who faithfully follow the Church's command to go to confession at least once a year in order to confess any serious sins that we are aware of. If we haven't obeyed that command and confessed our mortal sins in the sacrament of reconciliation, we shouldn't be receiving Holy Communion. A worthy reception of Communion requires a sincere turning back to God after rebelling against Him, and that's what confession is. The relatively infrequent use of this sacrament is even more perplexing when we think about the graces that it brings us. Forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, and a deepening of our friendship with Him— Reconciliation with the Church as well, which is always damaged by our sins, and a renewal or revitalization of spiritual strength in our ongoing efforts to follow Christ more closely. The Catechism even mentions that when we go to confession, as a result of the grace received, we often experience peace and serenity of conscience with strong spiritual consolation. Who wouldn't want all those benefits? I think everyone would want them. So why don't more people go to confession more often? And for those of us who do go on a regular basis, why is our experience of confession frequently so lackluster? Some people have had a bad experience in confession in which they felt that the priest didn't understand them or respect them. If we find ourselves in that position, we need to ask around in order to find a priest who knows how to celebrate this sacrament of God's mercy in a way that will reflect the love of the Good Shepherd. But for most of us, the obstacles are not so dramatic. We can bring the usual obstacles into focus simply by reflecting on what the Catechism calls the three acts of the penitent, the three things we do when we go to confession. Contrition. First, We prepare ourselves by spending some time in self-reflection. We look into our own souls to examine our conscience, asking God to enlighten us so that we can see the sins we have committed and also to give us a healthy sorrow for having committed them. Many guides for an examination of conscience can help us do this fruitfully. This prayerful reflection leads naturally to a renewed desire and decision to avoid sin in the future with the help of God's grace. This process of coming to contrition happens even before we go into the confessional, and by reflecting on what it requires, we can already begin to identify some obstacles that keep people away from this sacrament. First of all, our world is noisy and busy, and taking time for this kind of deep self-reflection requires shutting out the noise and distractions. This implies an effort to get beyond the superficial stimuli of our digital age, Not an easy task. But it doesn't stop there. Acknowledging our sinfulness, our weakness, and our need for God's grace takes humility and courage. We have to take ownership for our sins and failures. The more attached we are to sin, to selfishness, and to worldly treasures like wealth, success, and reputation, the harder it is to be humble and courageous enough to admit our brokenness and our need for redemption. Those attachments also sometimes make it hard for us to feel sorrow for our sins. But the sorrow that goes into contrition is not just the emotion of sorrow, which can come and go, but it is the deeper spiritual recognition of the evil of sin, of how it causes damage and impedes spiritual growth. Spiritually speaking, feeling sorry is not necessary in order to truly be sorry.
0: the false fear of repetition.
1: Finally, sometimes we find ourselves falling into the same sins over and over again, no matter how hard we try not to. That makes us feel like hypocrites when we come to the point in which we're supposed to have a renewed desire and decision not to sin again. That's understandable, but it's also wrong. In the human person, Intelligence and will are two separate powers. With our intelligence, we may know that we are weak and prone to keep falling into sin, but with our will, we can still want to avoid those sins. The repentance that comes with contrition is primarily in the will. Sincere contrition doesn't mean that we never will fall again, rather, it means that we truly desire not to fall again, even if we are pretty sure. We might, because that desire seems small and weak and fragile. For people who go to confession frequently and on a regular basis, recurring venial sins or imperfections are bound to come up in your examination of conscience. This is because as we grow spiritually, our willful sins diminish and the faults linked to our unwilled personality flaws and wounds are exposed. God often uses those faults and flaws to purify our souls in ways that our own conscious efforts never could. And sometimes, he doesn't heal them right away. In this case, too, having to repeat the same falls over and over again is no reason to stay away from the confessional.
0: Confession of Sins
1: Our second action is the confession of our sins to the priest inside the celebration of the sacrament. This too can be an obstacle. It takes faith to believe that God knows what he is doing by requiring this, by wanting to administer his mercy through this very human encounter between priest and penitent. But God does know what he's doing. He knows that our human nature requires a real encounter in order to experience the fullness of forgiveness. Certainly, we should also confess our sins to God privately when we pray. But confessing them to God's representative in the sacrament gives us an objective experience that we need in order to really get the fresh start that God wants to give us every time we come to confession. It gives us a chance for a full spirit workout, exercising and therefore enhancing all the Christian virtues like humility, faith, hope, and courage. This can also be an obstacle when we are filled with shame at our sins. Shame and guilt are two different things. Guilt is the healthy emotional response to disordered behavior. It's a sign that our spiritual nervous system is working and warning us that we are in moral danger. If someone is habitually engaging in destructive, sinful behavior and feels no guilt at all, no remorse, we all recognize that something is terribly wrong with that person Their conscience is broken. Shame, on the other hand, has to do with believing a lie. Even though we are weak and sinful, God never stops loving us. Our sins don't change how God sees us. Jesus didn't condemn sinners. He died on the cross to save them because he loves sinners and wants to rescue us and heal us from our sins. Shame is the distorted form of unhealthy guilt that forgets about that. Shame makes us think thoughts like, I am such a terrible person that God could never love me or forgive me. This kind of shame can inhibit us from confessing our sins because we are sure that the priest will laugh at us or deride us or otherwise expose what we mistakenly believe is our true and unlovable self. That's not how God works, though. And these feelings of shame should never impede us from seeking in confession the warm embrace of God's infinite mercy.
0: Satisfaction
1: After we confess our sins and receive encouragement, guidance, and absolution from the priest, we perform the third act of confession, our penance. This is traditionally called making satisfaction or reparation for our sins. Often the penance is simple, like saying a few prayers. Sometimes it can be more demanding. In every case, it should take into account the penitent's personal situation and seek some spiritual benefit. Doing penance can be an obstacle that keeps some people away from confession because of a subtle form of pride. Some people recognize the gravity of their sins, and they recoil at the idea that saying three Hail Marys and an Our Father can wipe those sins away. They seem to feel that the credibility of the sacrament is made questionable by the seemingly small penances that priests typically hand out. A basic misunderstanding underlies this point of view. Our sins are not wiped away by our penance. Our sins are wiped away by Christ's passion, death, and resurrection. Jesus Christ, true God and true man, paid the price for all sin by being obedient to his Father unto death on the cross. The forgiveness that Jesus won for us, by suffering for us, comes to us through the sacrament, but it is not earned by our penance. It was earned by Christ's sacrifice on Calvary. Our penance has a different purpose. It is a means by which we show the sincerity of our repentance, and through which God allows us to contribute in a small way to healing some of the damage that our sins caused, both to ourselves and to others.
0: Conclusion Finding the treasure buried in confession
1: Those are the basic acts of the penitent, and those are some of the common obstacles hidden inside our reluctance to make use of this amazing sacrament. Whenever we feel interior resistance at the thought of going to confession, we should reflect on which one of those obstacles is at work and allow the truth of God's mercy to root it out. Once we have decided to make regular confession a firm anchor for our spiritual growth, we will gradually discover many other ways to live it deeply and fruitfully. Right now, I would just like to mention two. First, cultivate a habitual attitude of penance. Sin is all around us. It contributes to the tragic miseries and injustices that make the news day after day. It contributes to our own interior conflicts and family troubles. It stirs up sorrow and steals joy. It was partly in reference to this ever-present reality that Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. A balanced awareness of the brokenness of this fallen world and of our ongoing need for mercy, creates in us a healthy spirit of penance, a sensitivity that gives a deep, cosmic resonance to every personal experience of this sacrament. Second, stay focused. As we grow spiritually and begin to practice regular, frequent confession, our examination of conscience and confession should gradually become simpler. We don't need to mention all of our small faults and imperfections in every confession. Rather, focus in on the one or two that have been most present since the last confession and allow the spirit of contrition and repentance to be shaped by them. This helps us avoid dispersion in our efforts for ongoing spiritual growth. The more we dig into what really goes on in this sacrament, the more we discover what a treasure it really is. Much more could be said about how to live this sacrament well, but for now, take some time to prayerfully reflect on the Personal Questionnaire, which is designed to help you revitalize the three acts of the penitent in your own experience of confession.
0: Personal Questionnaire How familiar am I with the different types of sins that we can commit? How informed is my conscience when it comes to what sinful behavior really looks like? Can I explain the full implications of the Ten Commandments to someone not familiar with them? How would I explain, in my own words, the difference between healthy guilt and unhealthy shame? When I think about going to confession, what reasons against it usually pop up first? Why? How often do I find myself falling into the same sins? What steps have I taken to try and understand why that happens? What am I doing to develop my ability to shut out life's noise and distractions in order to spend time in prayer with God? How often do I dedicate time to prayerful self-reflection about what God is doing in my life, how I am responding? How often should it? How would I explain in my own words what is meant by the phrase, an attitude of penance? How do I respond when I hear about tragedies, suffering and evil in the world and in the lives of those around me? How would Jesus respond? How do I think Jesus feels when I come to receive His grace and mercy in the sacrament of confession? The Church recommends that we make use of this sacrament frequently, because of its many benefits. How often will I make use of it from now on? How will I make sure I follow through on this commitment? Further reading. Seven Secrets of Confession, by Vinnie Flynn. Lord Have Mercy, The Healing Power of Confession, by Scott Hahn. Frequent Confession, Its Place in the Spiritual Life, by Benedict Bauer. An Examination of Conscience for Adults, available online at Fatima.org and ncregister.com. Rediscovering Catholicism by Matthew Kelly If you liked this retreat, please help support future retreat guides by making a donation at rcspirituality.org. Retreat guides are a service of Regnum Christi and the Legionaries of Christ. Regnumchristi.org, legionofchrist.org. Retreat guides are produced by Coronation. CoronationMedia.com